hundreds of pages, thousands of words, millions of letters. Welcome to the Kanja Book Club. The price of admission? What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Kanja Book Club, a weekly Utini podcast where we intentionally experience Star Wars books together with our incredible community. I am one of your hosts, Timothy Guthrie, and I'm joined this week by fresh off of a hike, Adam Dyson. How you doing, man? Pretty tired. Sorry, everyone. I'm the reason why we're late. I was crawling from my bedroom to the computer, climbing into my chair, <laughs> using my weak hands to start the PC, but it was great. Um, there was uh, a little bit more snow than anticipated, which made it a little bit harder, but like I told you guys, I drove like two, three hours to get there, so we'll reach at the top. <laughs> um, I'm sorry if I butcher this. It was Mount Kosciuszko. Is no, that right? That's correct. That is correct. Hey, look at that. <laughs> it, uh, not at all related to Star Wars, but it reminds me of Emperor Cusco from The Emperor's New Groove. Ooh. I don't know if that rings a bell for anybody. Great movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. The perfect um, world begins and ends with me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And speaking of a perfect world ending with Patrick, <laughs> how are you doing, man? You were sick last week, but you are back. Feeling good? Yeah, I'm feeling back. The force is strong with me, and I'm ready to talk some Star Wars, man. That's good. That's good. Well, for everyone listening, uh, we do host this show live in Discord every Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, and the audio podcast version is released on Tuesdays for incredible patrons. If you have not found us on one of those platforms, head on over to utini.com forward slash Discord to jump into our daily community happenings. And for all of our exclusive content, head on over to patreon.com forward slash Utini. It looks like we've got a lot of friends with us today. We've got Brea and Juliana and Meg and Sam. So glad you guys are with us. Thanks for jumping in. A couple of updates. Adam, do you have anything new happening over in the Discord world? Or are you pretty set? Pretty set this week. No major updates. We have had a, a continuing influx of new members, which is always awesome. And we hope that we can provide a positive and safe place for them to talk Star Wars and to talk anything online. Um, so, no, we have no new channels, no new categories. Just chuck it. Just, you know, just keep going as we do. That's good. It, it's good to have a week of just rest, of just like nothing crazy. Just let everything settle. Definitely, that's, definitely. That's good. And then, bam, next week. No. Yeah. <laughs> I feel I feel that way with Patreon right now. We just, you know, unleashed our new goals, which has been fun. And and so that's been kind of nice to be like, oh, all the work that I've been doing for the last like two months, it's kind of over <laughs> in terms of like all the, the big strategy and planning. So that's good. So Congrats, if you... I was about to say you did a lot of huge work on the Patreon. It looks great. The goals are great. I'm, I'm guessing that if you move the I Jedi goal lower than first, it would have been like a riot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Which I did look and I do want to point out, we're only a little less than $20 away Oof. from Corey having to read I Jedi. Oof. So if y'all are not already on Patreon or if you are and you feel like up in your tier just a little bit, 
Uh, we can make that happen super yeah. soon. And just well, let me get my debit card because uh, <laughs> as soon as Corey gets back from vacation, here you go, buddy. Yeah. I just... Yes. <laughs> and, and and the day that we reach that Patreon goal is the last day that Timothy's on the team. <laughs> yep, you are exactly right. <laughs> so I'm going to promote it and live it up as best as I can in the meantime. <laughs> um, one of the things we did <laughs> sam wants to know if they can donate money against i jedi nope <laughs> cory cory must read it <laughs> it's going to, one, only one category for donations to it <laughs> yes yes indeed um i have one other quick patreon update we did end up um postponing a night at the opera um we were supposed to be watching some episodes of the mandalorian tonight but our fearless leader, Corey, has decided to take a little bit of a vacation, kind of rest and recuperate some. Life has just been insane recently. So we're going to let that happen. And we will try to do um, the Night at the Opera sometime end of the month, beginning of October. Um, it's got a tentative plan right now, but we'll we'll wait to release more details on that soon. So one last thing that I do want to mention before we get into... Talking about Bloodline, we've had it's been a weird time in our community uh, recently. We've had just a lot of hateful people out there, like we mentioned, you know, especially with the harassment of our Project Stardust friends. But recently there was someone in the community that was legitimately harassed and stalked. Um, and just once again, I just want to say, like, consent matters. No means no. And if someone tells you to stop, just oh, listen to it. So I just, I don't know, it's been very unsettling this last week. It's really bothered me the way that some people, and especially men, just don't seem to take no for an answer. And so I just want to reiterate for the people that listen to this, if if you are the type of person that just gets your kicks off on harassing people, like, we don't need you here. That's all that I want to say about that. I don't think we need to spend any more time on it. And we love all of you out there that love Star Wars, and we want this to be just a positive place. So that's it. I'm done with it. I don't want to have to talk about those people ever again. And this is going to be a fun time. So y'all ready to get into this? Let's do it. Punch it, Chewie. Yes. <laughs> I, I have a terrible, terrible looking. I'm sorry. All right. So um, quick summary. Remember, we are getting into spoiler heavy territory. So if you have not read this book and you plan to soon, continue on at your own risk. So picking up where we left off last week, um, Leia and Ransom Casterfo decide that they're going to release their findings to the Senate, but it ends up being absolutely useless. No one can agree on anything, so Lady Carice proposes the idea of a first senator. Um, Populists obviously want it to be Leia, but she wants to be more hands-on, be more active. She proceeds with pursuing the Daxum 4 lead. Um, sea Striker and Greer head to Pamarth to see if Daxum 4 is recruiting pilots from the region. We learn about the Amaxine warriors, and Leia and Kesterfo share their pasts with each other in a really beautiful scene. Um, someone ends up bombing the Senate, the napkin bombing. Um, Kesterfo wants to go to Daxum 4 immediately to put the pieces together. He meets with Arlise Hedrassian, who is selling him an Imperial Guard's helmet. Um, and while scouting the area, Greer, who is with Kesterfo, finds the Maxine warriors, and they have squadrons upon squadrons of pilots. Um, finally, uh, Joff receives a call from Ransom, and there are satellites apparently around Ryloth redirecting information to Rinriven Dai. Joff decides to hack the satellites to figure out where the information is going specifically. And we 
end chapter 16 by heading to Sibensko. So a lot of things that happened this week. Patrick, what were your overall thoughts? We obviously missed you last week. So kind of catch us up to this point. What are you thinking so far? Man, a lot of those political intrigue and just the Senate going back and forth and these two parties just at war. It um, A lot of it reminds me of the prequels. A lot of it reminds me of like real life going on now. And I can't help but think every time I read um, when Leia's in the Senate and she's dealing with something, I just think back to Padme. I think back to like Padme and Bale in the Clone Wars of them trying to um, push legislation. You see those episodes where they're just... Well, they're this dynamic duo trying to be the voice of reason. It was neat to see Leia think about Padme, too, which I'm sure we'll talk about here in a little bit. Adam, how about you? What are what are your thoughts? Having been this being a, a fresh read for you, uh, where are you at now? No, nah, I'm still really enjoying it. I can I'm really understanding why it has such a high rating with the team and the and the Utini fam. It is it is really good to be expected, I guess, from Claudia Gray, her she has the the ability to create such intrigue and just such special sto- uh, special storytelling. So yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying it. Again, still really enjoying to see where Ransom goes. He's, he's like he just he seems like a really good guy, but he's off getting helmets. I just it's he's a really interesting character, and I'm finding his story to be a highlight for me. He's like so close to being absolutely perfect. It's just that <laughs> game flaw, right? Yeah. Especially when we when we go through it, but when you know, he talks about his past and everything that he's gone through, like yeah, great great character, great character work, definitely. So I think you know one of the the cool things about this section is that we do start to get into the backgrounds of not only Leia and Ransom, you know, they have that conversation um, in the the gardens, but we also get more info on like Greer and Joff Striker and a little bit more about them. And so I'm, it's really cool to see a lot of those things that, um, that Claudia laid out, you know, in the first eight chapters are really kind of building and, and being nourished here a bit, but let's open it up. Chapter nine. Um, you know, you got Ransom and Leia are appearing before the Senate together, um, you know, expressing all the things that they found. And then once they're done, the Senate just goes absolutely madhouse crazy, immediately pointing out like Leia ran off without Ransom and tried to do this meeting. And they're like, Ransom's an, an idiot and almost got everybody killed and all of this stuff. Patrick, you know, you talked about how this was very similar to the prequels, kind of gave you those vibes. Um, I imagine this is probably a big key thing. What did you think about this whole Senate announcement, the whole first senator proposition? Man, did anyone have flashbacks to like Revenge of the Sith? When this um they called for the first senator, I was like, ooh, and this is how Liberty dies with thunderous applause? We're doing this again? Okay. <laughs> Mistakes of the past. And I like how they put in that Leia was thinking back to Padme watching watching that very moment and everything. <clears throat> it also made me think back to a episode of the Clone Wars with um what's the senator in the Trade Federation that she works with? Uh Bonteri? Yes. Yeah. When it reminds me of the missions that she goes to see her. I know it's like they're not in the same Senate and like it's not cross party lines, but still it kind of reminded me of that, of uh, trying to work and break through this bureaucratic and corrupt lines to actually make 
diplomacy work. Sometimes it just takes a relationship with one person, one ally to try to sneak some things in. Absolutely. Yeah. Adam, how about you? I could definitely see some similarities with the prequels and just goes to show that humanity or the galaxy and all its variety of species seem to just not learn the lessons of the past. Um, something that I think that we're, we can all see in our own planet right now. Uh, but you're right, there are some definite similarities, and I think it's probably been done on purpose by Claudia Gray to show that they've learned nothing. I did particularly really love the the link with Leia and Padme, that she in that moment thought of her mother. I don't think I've seen too much so far in the new canon um, of Leia you know, leaning on Padme or thinking about Padme in, a, in that particular way, so that was really quite beautiful. But yeah, it's just a really strong start to the section. I think it's really cool. You know, she was like, obviously, she's never known her her birth parents. Oh well, I mean, she knew Vader, but which we also get into in this section. But yeah, she she talks about how she had to do all of this research, you know, to discover who Padme was. And you know, growing up at a certain point, you learn a little bit from Bale, but to to really get into that would be so interesting to have to research, you know, and really really dig into that. So I want to talk about Lady Carice here. And Patrick, I, w- I want to get your thoughts on her because she's something special, isn't she? She's very much full of herself, very much about bloodlines and royalty. And then she goes on and proposes this ridiculous idea of having a first senator. I don't know. What, what do you think about this woman? Think about it. She's having the idea of a first senator. It's like half step to a it's like a half step dictatorship almost. Because from how everyone's feeling about it, based on based on what I'm reading, and I don't know, that, that seemed kind of in line with how she thinks. I also find it hilarious that she thinks that um, Leia's only adopted nobility. Like, uh, mm, that's right, y'all don't know who her real mom is. Like, she was royal either way. So uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, I've, but she seems like some old. Like, what you think of, like, some turn of the 20th century, like, European aristocratic person whose nose is up at the lower class and the middle class, and that, you know, that her bloodline, her family's wealth and power is better than anything that anyone else has to offer. The early aristocrat picture definitely sticks out when I see her. Just, she talks very high of herself. Her nose is kind of down on everybody. Adam, do, what do you think about this idea of a first senator? Do you think that it's basically what Leia thinks it is, that it's the possibility of a tyrant? You know, one of the cool things that she talks about is how, you know, the emperor had the illusion of the Senate still being a thing for over 20 years. Do you feel similarly to her, or do you think it could work out? I think that it may work out for the first few months. And then slowly it will morph into something probably resembling a little bit more of what we're used to in the Imperial way of doing things in the galaxy. Uh, Once that first senator gets a little bit of power and noting that the term they talked about was, what, seven years? A lot can happen in seven years. A lot can change in that position. They can get what they need. They can get the supporters they need. And slowly, like Palpatine did, prior to the empire but at the end of the republic he had all these senators in his pocket and whatever he wanted they brought to the table they voted for it so i can definitely see it getting real bad real fast 
Yeah. When I read the the seven year term, I was like, a lot can happen in four years like the United States currently has set up. (laughs) And that's ridiculous. Please, let's not go seven years here. Like, to me, you think about it. Palpatine did all that in three. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah, I tried to reconcile the seven years, and I looked at you know uh, species life terms. Different species will live different lifespans um, to humanity, mm-hmm. but just yeah, I think from our human mind, seven years in power is just such a long time. And you know, unlike Australia, where you know parties tend to get sick of their prime ministers and vote them out before the term, I just can't see that happening in the galactic new republic. Yeah, like I said, imagine what you could get done in seven years. And at the end of that seven years, that first senator's probably not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, no. Because they never um, said anything about you can only have one term. Yeah, exactly, yeah. That, that was omitted, wasn't it? It was... Yeah, I, I, I was like, did I miss something when I read that? I was like, there's no one term limit to this. Because like, even on the populist side, in that seven years, and Leia's probably going to be doing a wonderful job in that position, you'll probably find the populace will just go for her again. That was one of the things that I was thinking about is, you know, even for the populace wanting to, you know, the way that they're written are the quote-unquote good guys, right? Like, the first thing that they say is, oh, well, it doesn't matter who the first senator is as long as they're populist. Um, and so, yeah, of course, that would be the mentality going forward, right? So it's just the the power-hungry grab... And it's such a shot at what we have now, like, especially in the United States. Yeah. One of the cool things that we talked about, you know, Patrick, I I know you you made a couple of notes on this, too. One of the cool things about this section is we get some of the backgrounds on some of our characters in the past. Um, Chapter 10 is when we really start to learn that Greer has this weird secret. Um, And we still don't necessarily know what it is but i think it's really neat that we got to see some of these characters fleshed out here um and we got some background like we saw tim and wexley show up in this chapter um snap and adam i know you're reading the aftermath trilogy but patrick tell me about you know the backgrounds that you got to see and how well you know some of these characters like greer mesh with you know with some of our more established characters i think claudia gray did a great job of having these background characters that are woven in to a certain extent, but they're not overbearing and they're not, there's not so much on them and their backgrounds and where they came from, where it clogs up the story. Mm-hmm. Like the idea of Greer used, used to be a racer and she worked on her Han Solo. That fits in perfectly, especially for this timeline. And she's not, we're not flashing back to this. Or we're not flashing back to her thoughts on it. Every other page, every other chapter to the point where it's like, ugh, this story's getting a little slow and this is boring. No, everything. Oh my God, I can never say enough good things about a Claudia Gray book. I really can't. Because, my God, how she just. She puts everything together so properly where nothing messes up the story. But at the same time, the characters get such depth that you. You actually enjoy them. You actually. You actually get to understand them, even for the short time that they are in the story. Yeah. One of the things I saw in one of our other channels, I cannot remember who it was off the top of my head. They were talking about uh, Ray Carson's Most Wanted and about how the the pacing of a lot of her books are also really strong. And that's one of the things that Claudia really nails is the pacing, the natural progression of her characters, whether they're new or old. I thought, you know, we got another glimpse in this chapter with Han and Leia talking and 
you know, Leia apologizes for the fact that she's about to be nominated as first senator, probably. And, you know, Han's kind of disgruntled with it, right? But he's also, you know, very much like, I can't fault you for who you are. And we saw a little bit of that in The Force Awakens, right? You know, when they see each other for the first time, you know, we talked this book happened six years prior to that, but it obviously doesn't get any better for them, which is unfortunate. Adam, I want to know, you know, kind of your thoughts on the the new characters and the old characters, but also just once again, touching on on Han and Leia um, and, and what you made of this. Yeah, this chapter definitely has me really interested in what Korea's backstory is as a whole. And I, like, I haven't read this one before, so I, I'm guessing Claudia will give it to me and I'm really hoping she will, um, that I'll see or read what Greer's backstory is. So really looking forward to that. But yeah, you're right. It's just really sad to see how Han and Leia, Han and Leia's relationship turned out as the years went by. I've kind of put it down to they're both just, they are completely different people in a way. Yeah, definitely have their similarities and it's just such a strong love for each other. However, um, Leia is who she is and Han who he, is who he is he needs to be out in the galaxy um leia wants to be there but with leia as we know judy always comes first um so it is really quite sad and you're right you know it looks like not not much will change in the six years between this story and the force awakens and and then we get that reunion which is always a bit sad to see um i did like uh lady carissa's you know, 100% really quick acceptance of <laughs> the governorship of a whole planet just shows where her priorities lie. Um, happy to kind of be pushed out of the Senate and out of the first senator race just so her name can be against the planet. It's really like getting some like early 20th century royalty vibes from that woman. And, you know, we all saw how that turned out for Europe and their royal families. So it's like, yeah, really interesting, really interesting character, but really quite easy to manipulate as her as her wants are very materialistic um the martins yeah, she, sorry oh yeah i was gonna say she has that brief moment where she's like oh no but if i take this i'm, I'm gonna have to go away from the from the senate for a bit and she's like no i'll do what i have to do i'll make it work <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh judy <laughs> um but the yeah. martins i thought was really great addition too by claudia gray again just this whole book is just the claudia gray effect she just is the measuring stick of what Disney canon really is in the literature of the world. So much skill, so much talent, and I love reading her stories. And this is just another one that I'll put into that pile of wonderful stories she has written. And, you know, talking about the Pomarthans, like, obviously, Greer is one. And, you know, they, they have this this reputation for courage and skill and, and gusto um, is the, the more tactful version than the sentence that came before it. <laughs> That's what they were good at. <laughs> and I thought it was, it was really cool that we didn't get to go to Pomarth right after, right? So Leia and Greer are talking about, hey, you know, it might be a good idea to, to go check it out. You know, like, get to go back home after a bit because, you know, they heard all these rumors that it could be that Daxon 4 is recruiting these pilots off of Pomarth because that's one of the things that they're known for. And then we show up in this place, you know, reminded me a lot of, oh, and I'm, I'm blanking on it now. Game of Thrones, the family that lived out on the water, the seafaring. Was it the Iron Islands? Yes, the Iron Islands. That, that's immediately what kind of came to my head. The Greyjoys, yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, you know, with the bridges that haven't been fixed in forever, you know, it's stormy and just dark and gloomy. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, man, Sea Striker is acting exactly as I would if I showed up <laughs> on the Iron Islands, <laughs> terrified of everything. <laughs> if any of y'all been listening to the audiobook, it sounds like Space Scotland. Yeah, I'm, yeah, it. yeah. I'm and I'm yeah. <laughs> Doesn't it? It sounds like Space Scotland. Or it does. Space like, and I am here for it. But now that you say that, I can definitely like picture the the Scottish like the Isles in the north of the island, where it's just these little islands, really rocky, the the dark rock. That's what I'm going to picture the from winds, now on. Yeah, the well, winds even- running rampant. <laughs> yeah. Well, even with the, you know, and I, I can't do it. I can't roll my R's. But even with the way that, you know, she kind of falls into her native accent when she's, yeah. you know, kind of poking fun at him, it definitely gives you those kind of Highland vibes, yeah. which is really neat. Kind of reminds yeah. me of um, when we're watching Rebels and Hera, that episode. Um, she uses her native Ryloth accent. Um, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. Really find those when those hap- when that happens in the storytelling to be really quite interesting. Yeah, it reveals so much depth to the characters. It does. That, you know, they they kind of put on a front, but but there's always a little piece of home still with them, no matter where they are. Yeah. And when I was listening, and they were crossing, and Sea Strike was getting real scared. <laughs> I, I was also picturing if you guys have seen it, the the Witcher Netflix series. You know, when they're walking across the. Um, the cliffside on like the the paddles or the just the wooden planks. That's the kind of thing I was also picturing as well. I'm almost visual. finished with the sec with the second book before I watch it. So I'm I'm hoping to to, to actually start it tomorrow. I'm reading the second book as well. But this is Star Wars podcast. Nice. So we'll yeah. It. Yeah. Patrick, what you got? Which one of y'all drinking that port in the storm first? <laughs> oh heck no. <laughs> you brought heck it up. No. You're first. <laughs> She said the fire hit the top of her head. Like, what type of drink is that? What are you drinking? Oil and gasoline? Jesus. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. It's It's like four loco. If I can remember looking, I've never been to Galaxy's Edge. I want to really bad one day. But I feel like Port in a Storm is something that you can drink at Galaxy's Edge. And I don't think you could pay me to drink it. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably a lot more toned down there. Yeah. But the real stuff is probably like, I don't know, like Everclear and Four Loco mixed together. <laughs> it just sounds like a recipe for disaster. Definitely. And I'm pretty sure Four Loco is just nothing but fruit flavored gasoline. Like they put those dessert cherries in some like kerosene cans. <laughs> we say cherry Four Loco. <laughs> You're going to give somebody a really bad idea. <laughs> okay. Well, one of the things, you know, there wasn't much that I really took note on, you know, in this chapter, but I I did think um, it was cool to see Leia was kind of reflecting on these adventures, you know, that she'd had. And she calls out specifically like Hoth and she calls out, you know, Endor. But she's like, actually, you know, they weren't adventures. They were horrors at the time. Right. Um, And to get into her mind and to kind of see her psychology of, of what, you know, the trauma that that exists, you know, kind of brought out in her. Um, we, we saw, we talked a little bit about it last week, but I thought this was really neat to be like, Oh yeah, all these fun adventures, but no, like they were literally fighting for their lives and Leia was literally tortured and 
to get that raw kind of realness from her. And then we get it, you know, more a couple chapters later, or I guess the next chapter. Um, I don't know. I thought that was really interesting to, to point out and call out. And I was very thankful that Claudia was able to, to give us some of that uh, because it reminds us that, that it was a war. And that's, I don't know, that's something that I, it kind of, kind of slips from time to time, but Chapter 12 gets into um, Greer and Seastracker kind of report to lay everything that they found. Um, you know, the legend of the Amaxine warriors, it dates back to the old Republic. They were this warrior people. And when they realized that they couldn't contend with the Republic, they basically ran away um, to fight another day and have been kind of building in secret. Uh, the rumor has that they're like a local planetary militia. Um, and everything that they kind of learned while at the, the little cantina bar on Pamarth was that you know, the centrist worlds are likely kind of all around this. There's a lot of connections there. And when they've pieced all of this together, because the idea is that Greer and Seastriker will kind of go into cover as pilots is is the main idea, right? To try to get into into Daxum 4. So they learn all this stuff. They tell it to Leia. And then Leia immediately wants to go and tell Kasterifo everything um, because they're a team at this point. And this is where we get a really cool scene and we get the the rawness from the both of them on their backgrounds there in the Hanging Gardens. Uh, Patrick, tell me what your thoughts are on this conversation with Ransom and Leia, um, their backgrounds being revealed and just that whole setup. I must say the Leia, when she is talking about how Vader torches her on the Death Star and we we don't see the full thing, but we see the cuts to it and allusions to it in a new hope it really gives you a whole new gravitas of that movie it gives it a whole new depth it gives it a whole new a new way of thinking about it and how it wasn't just oh everybody was happy go lucky and here we are no it really talks and speaks to the atrocities of the empire and what vader really was yeah and she wrestles with not being able to reveal that Vader was her father. But then when when she knows that now past the fact that she has to recount, oh, yeah, my dad was the one that tortured me like, oof, that's huh. When it when it wasn't known. And I mean, he didn't know, she, but it doesn't matter. Like, right. Just the amount of of extra that that adds to everything that she's experienced. Adam, what do you think about Kasterfo's story? You know, you're you're interested in 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 his character growth and kind of what that looks like. You know, what did you get from everything that he talked about here? Just a lot of sadness hearing of what he had to suffer through as a child and seeing what he saw. By the sounds of it, his parents were in quote allowed to take him to this camp, which is in itself another punishment. Um, where he then has to suffer through the same kind of pain that they're about to suffer through shows just imp- the imperial ability to just continually kick their people into the ground and give them a few more kicks for good measure. Um, it's like I just found it really interesting. Um, like I said, I'm really loving his character arc and character. what I see his character growth so far. I think that Leia has mm-hmm. had a, an amazing effect on him already. Um, still a bit iffy on his collection, but I could definitely understand <laughs> a little bit more of where he's coming from with that collection after this chapter. Um, would I have been the same? I can't know because I've never suffered through that, but from my 
vantage point of someone who hasn't been through that type of trauma, it's still a bit hard for me to reconcile the collection. Um, but again, it's nearly impossible what to put yourself in that person's shoes. Really, really great chapter. Really, just a really sad story. Just Claudia once again doing Claudia things. You know, the the one thing, touching back on Leia's story real quick, that she kind of talked about, and I mentioned a little bit last week, and, and my whole wrestling with with Kesterfo's, you know, wanting to collect helmets and, and things like that, it when she mentioned, like, yeah, there were normal people there and there were crew there, but also the crew thought that it was okay to watch Vader torture a 19-year-old girl. Mm. Um, you know, like, you're no longer, like, you are complicit in that, right? Like, it doesn't matter mm-hmm. if you were brainwashed or not, or it doesn't matter if you were a clone or not, or, or whatever the case. Like, like, you sat there and you watched that happen, which makes you just as bad. And I, and I thought that was, yeah. I was about to say, I think the passages like this are really important as well, because you don't really get the gravitas of what's happened to her in the film. It's very – the film is two to three hours. Things have to happen quickly. We're only going to see the huge events. Um, you look at Leia, especially just before Alderaan is destroyed. Still very composed, still very Leia, I think. So passages like this are just, like, vitally important. It just shows the what the EU can offer you as well, um, where things that clearly cannot happen in the film – cannot be given time to and you cannot see how Leia has suffered because Leia has to do 10 other things in the next 10 minutes. Um, right. Yeah. These kind of passages just really important. Yeah. Patrick, you have anything you want to add? Yeah. When she, when she was talking about the, um, the normal crew allowing Vader to torture her, like I understood like the complicity part, but the one thing that was in my head was, what were they going to do? Cause uh, that is still Vader out there. Like what, what is some regular stormtrooper going to step to him and tell him stop? He likes his right. life. Yeah. And that's one of those, like that, that's definitely a tough judgment call, you know? And I, you know, and if I were one of them, I would like to think that I would risk it and, and just, you know, just end it. Cause I don't want to watch this anymore kind of thing. Like, but but I can understand that that point for sure. Of like, yeah, like you're just gonna die. Like you're not gonna actually get involved in that. It reminds me of uh, one of the new uh, the Dark Legends uh, book that just came out uh, by George Mann. And there's a story in there about one of the Imperial officers that is kind of terrified of what happens to Vader, or like whenever Vader's around, like uh, all these officers keep getting mysteriously force choked, and so he like kind of sees him everywhere and is kind of spazzing out. And then it's his spazzing out that ends up leading to him getting killed. <laughs> oh. um, and I'm like the amount of the amount of trauma and psychological warfare that they're going through on their own. Yeah, that's a lot. And um, what was I remember? I can't remember which roundtable it was, but I remember Eric on the Living Force saying that a lot of these soldiers they also had um, families of their own. So mm-hmm. if you're just at work and so some young senator, she's granted she may be 19. She's getting tortured by Vader. Well, she's just going to have to be tortured because I'm trying to make it back to see my family. Because saving a and, random stranger is going to get me killed. Yeah. And there's the thought, you know, possibly that, of you know, they, they might think that they're in the right. So and that, you know, she is she's been painted as this bad person uh, going against the Empire again. 
I still wouldn't do it, but yeah. Adam? I think in past storytelling as well in the canon, we've seen how Stormtrooper idolization of Vader himself because mm. you don't see a lot of Vader punishing Stormtroopers. You see a lot of Vader punishing those in charge, the officers in charge of these Stormtroopers, bridge crews, whatever. So I do remember in some previous comics of Stormtrooper idolization of this man because, you know, they, they're in full armor, he's in full armor, He's always with them. It just, yeah, I can definitely see where it gets very grey. But you're right, it's easy to just kind of, you know, I would love to be able to stop that. But you're right, it's under that helmet, it's probably someone with a family. It's could be a street urchin who was, sees the Empire as his or her way of of living a life and getting a meal and these things that they've never had before. Definitely a hard one. Well, it, it puts into perspective again, I mean, you know, the real world um, and instances that we, you know, that we're conflicted with, you know, all the time. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. like it, when you go and you fight a war, like not not everybody that during World War Two, not everybody that lived in Germany was a Nazi. Not everybody was a bad person. Mm-hmm. You know, not everybody could have stopped everything. And we've seen how regimes yeah. are happy to, you know, recruit from the younger generation. happy to go to schools and recruit and mold these young people. I can see the Empire doing it on steroids, really, um, where they're only going to grab these people that they know that they can bend to their will, where, you know, witnessing the torture of a teenager is just, oh, okay, when really it should be horrific and you should be pumping a blaster bolt into the back of that black armor. Yeah, for sure. Well, and again, just getting to spend time in in Leia's mind is is welcome just yeah. because I think it makes you think about these kinds of things when you may not have had the opportunity to do that before and it's never been presented to you. And I don't know, me talking about this kind of stuff, I feel like I'd feel like Leia waking up the next morning with a hangover just talking about it because of how awful it is and having to relive all of those experiences <laughs> that she's had. But you know, one of the things that she's consistently wrestling with in this book is that she hasn't told many people that Vader is her father. You know, but that's something that she is going to have to tell Ben one day. You know, she is going to have to start to open that up a little bit more. And there's a conversation with Thailand Gar and they're talking about how Catalanta was one of Luke's first steps, you know, after the war had ended and trying to learn more about the Jedi. And there's this really cool conversation where he asks her if she had ever thought of becoming a Jedi. And we talked about this last week, Adam, you and I a little bit, but I thought that was really cool that she, she kind of gives voice to, I can't tell you all of the truth. And I thought back to her training in the rise of Skywalker, that brief little scene that we get. And, you know, she's still wrestling with how much she can give of herself. But she's like, no, my duty has always been in government. Thought that was neat. So do you have anything you want to add there? Yeah. Just, just from what we talked about last week, where it can be a bit hard to just one of the, the things of trust that are hard for many to kind of adapt to. And I think little lines like this here in Bloodline make make it easier for me to kind of reconcile what the movie and and the EU are trying to trying to do, and hopefully will help others allow those two different stories to kind of meld a little bit better. Yeah. Well, she's got this this deep sense of dread, which you know is kind of, is the force working through her, I think. And she's finally gets this massive banquet that they've thrown to basically try to prep her for being the the populist vote for first senator. And there's a bomb, 
she walks in and she gets around to her seat and there's a paper streamer on her plate that says run, which is weird because no one wrote it anymore. And I thought that was interesting because everything's on data pads. But yeah, Patrick, I want to know, what do you do when you see a piece of paper on your plate that says run? Uh, yeah, you do what she did. Run. In my natural scared abilities, um, when I see someone else running um, frantically for no reason, I'm running the same direction because y'all ain't going to catch me. I'm not going to be the first casualty. I refuse. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm a, some people may be sympathetic criers. Um, I'm a sympathetic runner. If I see someone running, I am running. I don't know why we're running, but we're running. <laughs> right? Yes, very much so. Yeah. You're not going to run in the other direction. <laughs> no, no. So, you know, what what did y'all think of this whole this whole bombing setup? Uh, you know, we didn't get any real kind of ending to this um, in this section. We, we know that there's probably a mercenary that was involved. Patrick, what did you think about this whole napkin bomb situation and um, everyone's response to it? I think this was the perfect crime, especially how the perpetrator was quiet. Like, you know, here, when, um, excuse me, when we have terrorist attacks, um, usually we'll get on the news. Some group, some extremist group comes forth and um, claims, claims it. Yeah. Here, no one claims it. So now you have both these sides going back and forth saying that it's the far left and the far right on each side of your party. So this was in a crime perspective, this is very ingenious because it's driven a wedge more into this already divided and crumbling new Republic. Like it's just yeah. playing on their paranoia. Adam, you have anything you want to add? For me, like ready at the first time definitely came out of like nowhere. I was like, Whoa. <laughs> we just went to a whole other place. <laughs> yeah, like when she gets the note and it's like run, I'm like, Oh, you know, perhaps someone's coming for her specifically. Yes, I said that word correctly the first time. Anyway, um, and then it's like the whole, and then she's running, and then there's a bomb, and I'm like, oh, okay, so the section of the Senate's gone. Um, and then it's like slowly turning into the whole Senate, and I was like, whew, that escalated so quickly. But, you know, there were plenty of injuries, which is incredibly sad, but her actions at least saved those from you know, losing their life. And yeah, just for me, I was reading it just like, ooh, it's worse, 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 no building. <laughs> so yep. it yeah. was, it was, it was, um, it's like a shot in the arm, this section of the book. For sure. I want to shout out uh, Joxie in the chat. I'm a, I'm a diehard American Office fan. And uh, yeah, there's the question of when you see the note that says run, like, do you look up and like, like, where do you run? It just says run. But like, like, which direction do you go? Do you run to the kitchen? Do you run up the, out the hallway? And it reminds me of the reminds me of the office episode where the GPS is saying to turn left. and Michael Scott just drives the car straight into a lake, <laughs> um, even though that's clearly the wrong thing to do. But you just take off. Yeah. Um, love that. Well, and yeah. With the, episode, um, with the fire, with Dwight. When he thought no one was listening to his fire um, safety. Yeah. He's like, uh, so is, is the handle hot? Such a such a good show. <laughs> um, yeah, the, it definitely. You know, reading this week, uh, you know, Brea mentioned, uh, you know, reading it on on nine eleven with everything. It definitely hits a little bit closer to home, like knowing that this was something that, again, happens in real life all the time, not even just in America. I mean, there are bombings happening all over the world, but it's it's really cool to see 
some parallels. I mean, obviously, because we draw on real life experiences when we write and in our art and things like that. But it's cool that that Claudia is able to for some people who may not experience or may not necessarily watch the news or care about it to, to be like to see in a different world how people respond, I think is is really cool. It's, it's, uh, it's, like, it's, it's like it's we know that Star Wars or fiction in general is meant to be a bit of an escape of from real life. But I think there are some events and and some things that just happen are going to happen even in your fictional worlds. And this is just an example of that. And with all of this, we see Ransom's push to immediately figure out what is going on. Um, so he decides to head to Daxum 4. He has a good enough reason to go, and that's that he is trying to buy an Imperial Guard's helmet. Uh, because, of course, he is, because he's just that guy. And so he heads there, and Leia convinces Greer to go with him um, as backup, and because they're all pretty much on the same team these days. So... Ransom is buying this helmet from someone that's going under the username. I'm going to say username because, you know, internet, uh, Crimson Blade. Um, you know, this just shady kind of dark room, like dark web, you know, tour website user kind of thing is what I'm imagining going on here. And, you know, it's the six year old woman who ends up being Crimson Blade. And it's the same person that was uh, in the casino uh, from earlier on in the last section. Um, her name is Arlise Hedrassian, and the helmet belongs to her brother. Um, and there's this whole weird thing about how you know he got sick and he couldn't make the Death Star 2 trip, so he never actually died. Um, and I was like, what? <laughs> um, that's so interesting. I want to know more. <laughs> and then Ransom like plays into this whole I want to know war stories thing. Like, And for two hours, they sit and talk about you know, Arlie's experience in the Empire. And he learns that she basically talked about it like she still wanted to be in it even to this day, even after everything that's happened. And I, I thought that whole conversation was absolutely fascinating. Patrick, do you have anything that you want to add or anything that you kind of felt reading this and getting to see how all this plays out? I'm not going to lie. When she says that her brother was sick and couldn't make the Death Star ship, the only thing going through my mind at the time was like the robot chicken Palpatine catching like a <laughs> phone call. Like, huh? What do you mean you can't come? What? <laughs> the flu? What? Yeah. Like, that's all I that's all I could have thought of. I was like, oh, what was it Star, uh, Star Wars detours from uh, Seth Green that was supposed to be a thing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Very much same vibes. That's all I could think of. He's and just like Palpatine freaking out. Well, I, I don't want the flu. Stay home then. <laughs> catch us up when you come. On. Catch us up when you feel better. Check your temperature. Wear a mask. Adam, how about you? This uh, this definitely paints our boy, it seems like, into a darker corner, huh? It does, definitely. Um, and something else I was thinking about was we don't get too much Luke between Jedi and Force Awakens. And I was like, oh, just really kind of want a story now of that survivor from the Imperial Guard who survives, gets over his sickness, and hunts down the Jedi who killed his master. That's a story for me mm. waiting to be written, I think. And um, because as we know, they were highly trained and highly loyal. <laughs> I think it'd be really interesting as a, a little bit of a return to Force Awakens story for uh, Luke Skywalker to have the final, the, the last Imperial Guard hunting him down. Uh, that's a comic series I will read to- <laughs> today. Um, it, 
it it reminds me of a of a twisted version of the Apollo 13 mission yeah. um right where uh one of the crew members gets sick and I stay home and everyone's you know going to the moon and then he's like oh wait no I know all these things I can save everybody <laughs> but yeah very much very much uh a twisted version of that <laughs> yeah I think it, I think you're right it'd be a perfect um graphic novel like a little mini series or like five issues or uh, just to get it out of the way, the final Imperial Guard. Yeah, and then we end this section. Um, you know, Greer finds the Amaxine warriors. Um, you know, she's flying around and sees squadrons upon squadrons of this legitimate paramilitary organization. Like, they are absolutely huge. Um, chapter 16, we get into um, Leia goes to visit Ryloth. Um, she goes to see Endor on Lasu. Um, he used to fly with Corona Squadron back in the war. And they find that, you know, going through all of these old archives, uh, that Ren Riven Dai actually used to be a spice broker for the Huts. Um, super fairly low on the totem pole. Ransom ends up phone calling Joff. And when he answers, you know, we learn that they're these spy satellites. Uh, around Ryloth that are feeding information to Rin Riven. Adam, what did you think about this whole this whole scene, this this chapter where you know we get to see Joff make some pretty bold decisions on his own uh, without Leia's guidance, um, and the fact that I don't know Ryloth is is always embattled. My God, just leave Ryloth alone, people. Right? <laughs> that was the first thing I was going to say. It's just Ryloth just cannot catch a break. Uh, I think it, it even says in the story hundreds, so like hundreds of years of just being trodden upon by the galaxy, and just one of those planets that you just want to see win something. <laughs> don't you? Just give Ryloth a win. Give the Twilight people a, a win, please. But I really like. Uh, Joff in this section I really um, smiled with Leia you know laying into Joff who really is just doing what she Luke and Han and the rebellion were doing in the past when when Leia was around his age it was interesting to see how Leia has grown into uh, this matriarchal carer um, she hasn't known Joff for very long by this point but really cares for his safety and just shows that she loves any and all who work in her inner circle or work um, under her position, like just, just cares for all of them. And, I, and we saw that where she's trying to reconcile with the fact that he's just doing what she used to do. <laughs> Very much um, like Leia, Princess of Alderaan vibes, you know, when she's trying to find out about the rebellion in that story and she's going to Crate and Bail, oh, sorry, sorry, our Lord and Savior Bail Organa is getting angry, getting <laughs> dad angry at her. And it's kind of gone full circle a little bit here. It's kind of how I would see her with Ben, perhaps, seeing her and Han. Imagine her and Han in, in young Ben, just he's climbing all the trees, he's running away and just seeing her admonish him would be quite, you know, would make me smile. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Patrick, how about you? What are your thoughts here? Honestly, this this whole section, it's just, it left me on the edge of my seat because it's, I don't know, I feel like this is like the turning point in this, in this book where we're ready for like that climactic final sections. You know, it's setting up for something big to play out. And especially we know well, what happens later on in the timeline after this book. It really does give you this build-up effect, at least for me. I love that 
the again, you know, at the top of the show, we talked about Claudia Gray's pacing and just how well she does here. And immediately I was kind of disappointed that we ended on chapter 16. Cause I'm like, no, I gotta know what happens next. <laughs> I want to see this meeting with the Maxine warriors. Dang it. <laughs> Give it to me. <laughs> so I'm very much looking forward to next week, but I do think it's, it's so cool. I think my favorite thing about this book is, yeah, it's a political thriller, but one of the best things about being a political thriller is all the espionage involved, all the, the kind of shady stuff, the techno wizard, wizardry that happens, you know, on the side. You know, we see Joff try to convince C-3PO to work beyond his typical programming and, you know, communicate with these satellites and try to feed information to them. And I'm like, I live for this kind of stuff. Like I this is the kind of stuff that makes me want Bloodline to be like a television series because I am all for it. Like, give me Star Wars West Wing, you know, Patrick. I will say the whole time in this book, there was one thing I couldn't keep it. Couldn't get right in my head. I kept thinking they were on course not the whole time. And so every time instead they say Sahasni Prime, I'm like, ah, dang it. That's right. Y'all moved the capital. How could y'all <laughs> put it back? Because that place was terrible. There's a lot, of, a lot, of, a lot of bad history happening, of course. Put it back. <laughs> Make it easier for me. Doesn't matter. Put it back, right? Yeah. <laughs> Y'all can do your jobs. Y'all are still rich and powerful. Put it back where you found it. Yeah. That's not the capital. Video Go in. Back. <laughs> right. We're on Zoom. Y'all can be on. Y'all have holograms. What's the problem? But yeah, I think I think that's. You know, just the I think the espionage is probably my favorite part of this particular section of of getting to see, you know, the napkin bombing, um, getting to see all of these you know forces working against each other and, you know, kind of back channeling to try to try to get things done and, and accomplished. And that's I, I think I think my, my standout favorite part so far of this section. Uh, Patrick, how about you? Now that we've kind of finished it out, you know, what is your favorite moment? Do you have any favorite characters? What do you want to shout out here? I love Joff and Greer. I think, I think they're both like a coming of age type. Joff is obviously a bit younger, mm-hmm. but I feel like, oof, like they have a weird dynamic where he obviously likes her, but at the same time, it's she's training him in a lot of ways, especially when they were on Marth, mm. and um, just like training him how to, you know. Just blend in, relax. You don't gotta try so hard. You have your use your confidence and trust in your own abilities. And that was, I think that's a good development between both of them that I, I love watching. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to more of them for sure uh, in the next sections ahead. Adam, how about you? Favorite moments? Favorite characters? Uh, Ransom still still leading the pack for me, but I think Greer is gonna chase him down really interested in Greer's backstory at this point and where she's come from to where she is now and how she got there. And probably a scene in this section would have to be the discussion between Leia and Ransom regarding their past and their trauma. I think that was really powerful, really powerfully written by Claudia Gray. But this section as well, just it, Claudia Gray like writes a story and then in that story, it seems that other authors can grab something and run with it. Um, you know, I talked about the Imperial Guard. I'd love to see what happened to the final Imperial Guard. The Amaxines, the idea that they were a part of the Old Republic and then broke off. What happened there? How? Why did they break off? Um, all that kind of thing. You might get that in the books. I've never read this. But it's just all these little spin-offs I can see from this 
from this story and like you know i look at master and apprentice and we all got rail and we all want more rail so we got a little bit more rail in dooku jedi lost it's like she just writes a story and then provides all these little branches that we can go down away from the main saga and i think that's another powerful tool of her writing all right i've gushed over claudia gray enough i'm out <laughs> well, I definitely agree with you. And I will say on on the Greer point, I don't think we've ever seen someone's backstory teased so heavily through the first 16 chapters of a book. Yeah. Um I mean there are so many little things where she's mentioned and it's like she feels this particular way or she has all these prior prior conditions when the droid is scanning her um after the bomb goes off and I'm like what what is happening? So yeah. um we should also point out C3PO tweaking the satellite bad boy c3po <laughs> looking a little bit like triple zero out there <laughs> first he tweaks satellites then he speaks Sith. Look yeah at the path he's going down i'm just gonna say darth <laughs> next, next thing you know c3po is gonna be on death sticks and no nobody needs that <laughs> no that's when patrick, you have to go home and rethink your life <laughs> yeah i will have to ask patrick have you read this before or is this your first time this is my first time reading bloodlines oh awesome yes so much so, giddiness. I I love it. I'm honestly I, I don't know. I think I downplayed my expectations. <laughs> shouldn't have because it's Claudia Gray. Forgive me, <laughs> Claudia. If you hear this, I'm so sorry. I should I should have never doubted you. I'll never doubt your talents again. But um, no, just downplaying my expectations to you know be polite, um, pleasantly surprised, and I was beyond pleasantly surprised. I was blown away. And you really see why this is rated usually a nine out of ten by yeah. most people. Definitely, and and why it's a Patreon goal, Timothy, to roundtable yeah. this book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what the people want. So <laughs> if if y'all if y'all can if y'all continue to support us and you love us and you want to talk about you want the big boys to talk about the book <laughs> definitely head over to our patreon page uh, because that is one of our goals because you know the living force got started a little late into the canon you know there are a lot of of old canon books that we haven't talked yet on the main show um and i especially i don't think charles has read bloodline yet i'm gonna throw him under the bus but i don't <laughs> think he's read it yet and so one he needs to listen to this um <laughs> and he needs he needs to read it <laughs> They but did I Lost think, Stars, right? Yes, they did. They and did that was a, read that one? And, and that was a Patreon goal. Yeah. So I'm telling you, people, if you want your voice to be heard and you want stuff to get done, <laughs> head on over to patreon.com forward slash Utini. <laughs> All right, I'm going to get off my box. <laughs> Uh, I do think that's a great place to end it, though. Thank you to everyone in our chat for participating in the Conjure Book Club. We'll be back next week to talk through Bloodline Chapter 17 through 24. In the meantime, please keep the conversation going in our Discord community. You can find me, Timothy, on Twitter and Discord at underscore T Guthrie. Adam is at DarkStarAU, and Patrick is on Discord at Mac11. If you want to help support the show, look up Bloodline on utini.com. Click the Amazon link on the profile. We'll get a few cents to help keep the lights on. We'll put links up for Bloodline and October's book, Dark Disciple, in the show notes. If you'd like to help us out more directly, you can find us on Patreon or pick up some sweet new merch at utini.com forward slash merch. Special thank you to Sally and Chris Eilerson on our Alliance High Command Patreon tier and Cheryl Bell, Alec Householder, and Patrick Ortiz on our Jedi High Council tier for their amazing support. And last, but certainly not least, thank you to Adam and Patrick for podcasting with me today. You guys are the best. May the Force be with you, everyone. <laughs>